Welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudhaman podcasting from Hong Kong, joined by Darren Burns and Toby Doman. Uh, and we have another special episode for you today because we have a guest. Prakash Wakankar is a businessman who has worked for corporations like Pfizer, Coca-Cola, Perfetti Van Mel, and most recently the Mahindra Group, where he is head of the group's international operations for farm equipment and the global two-wheeler business. But more importantly for our purposes, Prakash is a well-known broadcaster for the BBC, for Test Match Special, for ABC, for AIR. Of course, he's a well-known broadcaster on this sport we all love, cricket. So Prakash, welcome to Cricket Ultras. Thank you. Thank you, Arun. And thank you, uh, Toby and Darren, as well, for uh, thinking of me. It, it, it was a very, very pleasant surprise. And I must confess that uh, listening to some of your earlier podcasts has put me, as they say, just under the cosh a little bit. I've got to watch how I go about this innings. <laughs> You got to be a little bit watchful at the beginning, yeah. as you know. So, so. <laughs> you know, be careful with the corridor of uncertainty. Uh, never hurts. So we'll get straight into it. Uh, we want to ask you various questions. You know, reflecting both uh, your days playing cricket, the players you've come across in Maharashtra straight state cricket, for example, uh, and then of course your commentating career. Uh, and maybe some lessons uh, from the business world too. But let's start at the beginning. So tell us about your story with cricket and and how you fell in love with the game. Well, I suppose to begin with, being born in India didn't hurt uh, because almost everybody who's born in India seems to fall in love with that game fairly early on. I grew up in an army family. So my dad was in the, in the army, as indeed have been several generations before and after. And so we moved around uh, every couple of years, as is the norm. And once uh, sort of I got to school going age, I think it must have been in Chansi, which is, uh, for those who don't know, in the erstwhile uh, United Provinces, the modern state of Uttar Pradesh, uh, small town. Uh, and, and that's where I really picked up a cricket bat for the first time for the St. Mark's High School, as I recall. Uh, don't have much memories of uh, how I did there. I suspect it was just, you know, filling the numbers and hitting a few balls here and there. Uh, but to fast forward, that that love for the game just continued uh, through those early years. And once uh, dad retired and we came to Pune, uh, that is really where I think the the seriousness of cricket uh, as, as a sport, as a hobby started really, uh, you know, I started imbibing it. And that's where I started uh, playing serious cricket, club cricket to begin with, school cricket, captained my school team, uh, got to being picked for the under-19s, which was my first ever selection, which was great. Um, and, and that took me actually to, a, to an interesting anecdote, if I may, which I've often told people, is after being picked for that side, I took a bus to Mumbai, uh, to the newly minted 1K Stadium. Uh, knowing that the Mumbai Ranji Trophy team was going to be practicing there so that I could wait and hopefully at least catch a glimpse, if not more, of uh, Sunil Gavaskar coming off the practice session. And I waited in the car park. Uh, Sunny came out and I mustered up enough courage to go up to him and say, uh, I've come from Pune. I've been picked for the under-19 Maharashtra team and I just came here to get your blessings. And as is or let's say was normal in those days in India, I bent down to touch his feet. 
And I'll, I'll never forget his reaction. He thought I was sort of going to do something to him. He sort of backed off. And, uh, but I got my moment of glory. And then years later, when I narrated the story on stage with him sitting next to me, he, of course, in his, in his absolutely, you know, normal style, just looked at me and said, don't remember that at all. Uh, so, so it was quite a, quite a funny incident uh, when I did this in Chennai. But for me, uh, that, that morning was, was very, very special. Went on to play a few more uh, years of cricket, under 22 for Maharashtra. And uh, that's really where I think cricket became very central to my life. But it was also equally clear that I don't think it was going to be a profession. It couldn't have been at the time. And no doubt you must have rubbed shoulders with some, some well-known players in, in the Maharashtra oh, yes. uh, teams. Uh, Maharashtra and West Zone. Arun, I mean, people like Sanjay Mantrekar, Kiran More, uh, Balvinder Sandhu, uh, Azuruddin. I mean, I remember fielding at deep point in a game that Azuruddin had come out to bat, Hyderabad versus Maharashtra. And this guy, you, you had to strain your eyes to see him. He was, he was virtually invisible. He was that thin. But when he hit a ball, whew, man, you, you almost wished it was sort of 20 yards away and you weren't going to get to it. Uh, so I, I remember, remember that very distinctly. Uh, I remember another. A uh, very, very capable uh, player, Navjot Sidhu, who would even then just hit the ball all, all over the park. Uh, so, yeah, the, these were people that I did play some cricket with, uh, played some cricket against. And many of them actually went on, of course, to represent India and their states with great, uh, great results. But the key was to decide whether you appear for your 12th standard exams or not. I chose the exams. Most of these guys skipped a year. And went on the schoolboys tour of uh, Sri Lanka. I think it must have been in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. It may have been 79, 80. And uh, that was it. I think there the die was cast that for me, playing cricket would always be something I loved doing and would continue to try and do wherever I could. But it wasn't how I was going to earn my bread. The good news is you've, you've done all right anyway. So. Not too bad. Not too <laughs> bad, I must confess. Not too bad. Toby, next question is yours. I was just thinking the other day, uh, uh, Murray Walker, the uh, the voice of Formula One, passed away. Maybe familiar to, to listeners of the podcast, and he was. Uh, I found out he actually had a very successful career in advertising, and it, I, I kind of drew parallels with you. And I know that you, you you've got a day job, right? And you, you alluded to the fact that you stayed behind for exams. You know, uh, tell us a bit about your day job and how have you managed to work your broadcasting around that? Uh, well, again, I think it's it's very straightforward to be. I, a, I've been very, very fortunate. I mean, as I was playing school cricket, uh, there used to be a uh, one of the few English language commentators in Pune, gentleman by the name of Mr. Bar Pandit, who sort of encouraged me during all the rain interruptions. Uh, he would say to me, close your eyes and picture a game and just talk about it. And I suspect because I'd schooled all over the place, I attended a few uh, convent schools, as they were called as well. My English wasn't too bad, or maybe it was a little bit better than most. And so he would encourage me to do this. And I would conjure up these images with my eyes closed and just keep, uh, keep sort of narrating, you know, Gavaskar hitting, you know, holding for a six or something like that all the time. Uh, there was never a dull moment in, in those moments because I was imagining whatever I wanted to. And then as that sort of progressed, uh, came back home and I started, I remember I had a wall in my room. I take a small tennis ball, uh, toss it onto the wall, let the ball come back to me, play a stroke and continuously talk. 
and broadcast, sort of describe what's going on. So that's that's how I sort of began. And then one day he said to me, look, I've arranged for you to go and do an audition at the All India Radio Station in Pune. And this must have been sort of 82, 83, somewhere there. And uh, I went and gave the audition. Uh, it kind of must have worked well because I got a game fairly quickly after that. And that is really where the economics of cricket broadcasting uh, came home to me. And I thought, wow, only to be severely disappointed in, in decades to follow. For that game, I remember I got paid about 400 Indian rupees for a day's work sitting in an air-conditioned box when many of my college and schoolmates who were playing in the game for Maharashtra in the Ranji Trophy actually got 200 rupees a day. Uh, the sad part is the 200 has gone up in leaps and bounds and multiples till very recently the commentary had gone up to about 1400 rupees which now is, I think, about 10,000 a day. So still no comparison. And I think I'm glad that I took that call that this wasn't how I was going to earn my bread. Otherwise, I might have been struggling. So as I finished that and, and sort of went into uh, finishing my MBA with, uh, uh, from the University of Pune, uh, I got a job uh, which I applied outside campus to Pfizer. And uh, then about seven, eight years in pharmaceuticals with Pfizer and Herxt, which was now, of course, Aventis, but um, as it was called then, the German pharmaceutical. Uh, and in Nepal, when I was posted with Herxt, I got hired by Coca-Cola. And that became a, a 10, 10 year long innings uh, across different geographies, Cambodia, Singapore, Vietnam, regional roles out of Singapore, et cetera, et cetera. So moved around a lot. And except for that five year hiatus, when I was outside the country in Southeast Asia, uh, when I couldn't come back to do cricket commentary, even when I went back to China and ran the Far East and Pacific for the packaging business, uh, I sort of managed to keep in touch. We set up the, uh, we used to play a India, no, sorry, Australia versus rest of the world game in the Australian embassy in Phnom Penh. Uh, we used to do the same at the uh, Indian embassy in Nepal. Uh, so it was really the largest mission, which had close to a, cricket ground would become the host and everybody else would sort of come together in the expat community and play cricket. So stayed in touch with the game and career-wise just moved around uh, uh, a fair bit, uh, geographically speaking. And the highlight of that was really going to Pakistan and doing some bottling acquisitions for Coca-Cola and watching some cricket in Pakistan, including visiting my parents' old home in Lahore, which uh, for my parents was fantastic because I brought back pictures. Uh, they were never going to get a visa because dad was in the army in those days, an ex-army officer never got a visa to go to Pakistan. For what reason, I don't know, but be that as it may. So yeah, career-wise, uh, moved around a lot, uh, worked in India extensively, of course. And I think the, the cricket connection really remained for two reasons. One, I think very understanding bosses. Even back in the day, I was able to take sort of leave without pay if I needed. They would be a little more flexible in allowing me time off. And, and my family, my wife and daughter, who've always said to me, uh, make sure you get your dose of cricket. Even if you get three days in a year with you, that's fine, because otherwise you're going to be grumpy all along. So we don't want to go on a vacation with you if you haven't done your cricket. Uh, so we're very fortunate, very supportive people. And that's allowed me to sort of continue with broadcasting as long as I have. Darren. Prakash, I love your voice, by the way. I, I find it very soothing and reassuring when I listen to you on commentary. Um, you know, whether it's across the different platforms, ABC or, or, or different platforms, BBC, I think you've done as well. 
Um, I find it one of the most assuring voices and very erudite as well. You kind of spoke earlier about the power of radio commentary versus particularly, you know, against TV or other, other formats of commentary. And I think sometimes you've got a captive audience of a billion people, don't you? You're sort of like talking to all of India and all the world watching an India-England test match, for example. How do you find that versus TV broadcasting? There's a lot of pressure in TV broadcasting now around taking care of sponsors and it's kind of you're describing what you're actually seeing. Whereas on radio comms, you can actually paint the picture and you can get a, get a feeling in your head and it's, it's better and more expansive. And, and I guess that's why when we go to the cricket, we actually listen to radio, not the TV commentary, right? I always try and do that if I can. How do you find it? Have you, have you done TV, TV before? And I've done, I've done a little bit of television. Uh, I think it must have been during my time in Singapore with ESPN uh, before it became ESPN Trick Info. But a lot of that was still off tube. We used to do uh, a little bit of Hindi uh, voiceovers and commentary uh, during the India, during the England Pakistan and England India series uh, late at night in Singapore. So I've never actually done live television in terms of commentary, simply because, as as Ravi Shastri often tells me, uh, you, you've got no chance in hell because you didn't play international cricket. So that's <laughs> we'll get we'll get to Ravi later. By the way, we'll get to Ravi, we've got questions about Ravi. I'm sure we will. <laughs> <laughs> but but coming back to your core question about television versus versus radio, as you so aptly put it, to me the television camera is the is your eyes when you do television. The producer is your brain. I don't mean this as any disrespect to anyone doing television. Uh, you are controlled. Uh, yes, you can sort of go a little bit here or there, but the guide rails are fairly tight because of the imagery on the screen. Whereas with radio, as you know, and particularly test match special, which I enjoy without question the most, simply because you could go from Jeffrey's mom to uh, to a snake in I don't know Papua New Guinea. Uh, there's absolutely no no issue with weaving all kinds of angles into it as long as you don't miss what's going on uh, in, in the middle. And I think that is what allows you to. Uh, as you say, paint the picture, or as uh, John Arlott said years ago, let the listener with his transistor feel the breeze on his cheek. Uh, how do you conjure that up? How do you get the sense of the of the barbecue floating across the Newlands? Uh, how do you get the sense of the crimson of the sunrise or the sunset uh, at at a ground where day night games being played and the light is changing? Uh, how do you paint the sounds and the aromas wafting through Indian and subcontinental stadiums. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic to be able to do that. And uh, yes, you're right. When there are a billion people listening to you, you do sometimes feel, um, what should I say? Sometimes you, you're you allowed to have a bit of a big head. Uh, I, I like to believe I don't, but uh, yeah, it feels great. And voice being recognized. And I'll tell you one anecdote. Some time ago in Mumbai, I was maybe Kolkata, I took a taxi from the airport to the hotel. And uh, as is my want, uh, given my working life, I always get into a conversation with cabbies because I think they are the best barometer of what's going on in the city. And as we were talking, uh, suddenly this gentleman asked me if I uh, did any work on All India Radio. And I said, yeah, I do cricket commentary from time to time. And he said, I recognized your voice. And when I reached the hotel, he refused to take money for it. He asked me to give him an autograph for his daughter, he said, who loved cricket and uh, her English was improving because of what when she was hearing. me. Now, these are real, you know, hugely humbling thoughts. You think that you could actually make a little bit of a difference to somebody. 
so yeah, for me, radio any day. Uh, I know Harsha will tell me it's sour grapes, but uh, the reality is that 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 is that is the absolute truth. Radio gives you freedom, flexibility. Uh, you know, uh, gives you that that ability to connect. And as technology has progressed with SMSs, with interaction and you know engagement with your audience, you're able to respond to people in stadia, outside stadia. Uh, and it's just fantastic. I mean, I, I I love it. I consider each of those a privilege and a God-given opportunity. Yeah, I don't think you'll find um, any opposition on this podcast to that to the idea that radio commentary is far superior uh, to the TV version. And even if even if yeah, but I must say, I must say, Arun, that that you know, India, which really should be at the forefront of radio commentary, is unfortunately for whatever reasons falling way behind and more and more we find radio commentary getting boxed in uh, uh, you know limited uh, in terms of its uh, its broadcast ability because data has become so cheap and because people just use ott platforms and the big television companies have ensured they've got ott platforms which are now allowing people at office or work to just hold a mobile and watch an image which they seem to enjoy a lot more than than just listening to description, but that's the way it is. Yeah, Prakash, I think it's happening in Australia as well. Oh, is sure. it? I mean, I, really? Yeah, I, I think the, the standard of the radio commentary. I mean, the heyday of Alan McGilvray and Jim Maxwell and a whole bunch of people. It, it seems to be less investment, less money there for sure, and everyone puts it into sort of you know the latest you know the retired heroes from the Australian team on the commentary team, which gets a bit parochial you know, after a while. That's, that's a that's a polite way of putting um, it, <laughs> and a bit boring. It's happening around the world, so it's it's disappointing, isn't it? Yes, yes. I think I think it, I, I think TMS is still doing quite well, though, right? They still do have a great team, still. Touchwood, yes. TMS, I think, is is sort of the the flag bearer for it. Yeah, and um, Talksport has done well, I think, with with the recent ones. Talksport, yeah, yeah. And again, you see, you look at Talksport, you look at TMS, and you see two very different ways of of approaching commentary. Um, and, and there are people who love and hate either of them, depending on who you talk to. And I think different styles just lend themselves to different sport. And I'm biased, obviously. But I think the top sport style of commentary lends itself to games like football because it's, you know, fast paced. It's a lot of happening and you, you can sort of, you know, play around with it a little bit. Whereas I think somewhere the seriousness of cricket needs to be retained when you're doing cricket commentary. It can't make it entirely frivolous. And justified by saying we're telling you the score. Uh, my personal view. Sure. Yeah, Toby, you wanted to ask a question about the media operations of teams. Yeah, and, and look, even if you say that the, the Indian radio is not not catching up, I'm still sure you'll be recognised by Mumbai cabbies in years to come. Prakash, don't you worry about that. I think one of the things we talked about earlier in the, in the podcast is the the huge increases in salaries and players and the, the sophistication of the marketing and advertising around teams, but specifically around the, the media operations. Um, how have you seen that evolved over the years? You know, is it easier to access players and content now or is it more sanitised? How have you, how do you view that part of the game? Again, I think it depends from country to country and from association to association and franchise to franchise. I think in franchise cricket, because it's very clear that the franchise needs to be marketed, it follows a, a more sort of standard, conventional, uh, if you will, viewership to multiple in valuation. 
uh, they they will come out, step out, and actually help you with uh, with content, with access, and so on and so forth. Uh, when you get to national teams, uh, I think countries vary. I mean, the West Indies, for example, for me, have been the the most approachable. Uh, their media guys have always been very friendly. They'll they'll get you almost anyone you want, especially if you're doing it in the evening in a in a bar or a pub. You have no problem. If you look at India on the other end. I think the Indian uh, boys are very, very closely controlled and chaperoned. Uh, very difficult because unlike many of the boards, I think the BCCI uh, controls the, the media rights and therefore even an interview. Uh, in the days of COVID, for example, an interview on, on Zoom, like we're talking now, uh, to be conducted with a player who is contracted to the BCCI who may not actually be participating in that series, uh, you can't do it unless you get a, a clearance from the BCCI. The BCCI will approve it for you. So that becomes a little bit more difficult. And then you've got a range in between uh, where I think boards are uh, and, and media managers uh, are, are uh, more forthcoming or a little more protective about who says what. Uh, and depends on the contracts with the rights holders. I mean, if you look at uh, you know ICC events, Sometimes you feel bad for these players. You've got a toss coming up in 15 minutes and the captain A or captain B is running around between three camera setups to make sure he's, he or she has ticked off his, his three obligations before. Uh, and he's going to say essentially the same thing. So it, it's quite, uh, quite hard on players, I think. And, and some of them have privately shared the fact that, you know, we'd rather not do this. But I suppose that's part of the, the economic model. Uh, and, and therefore, you can't escape it. But I think it's becoming an art. Media managers are now becoming much more professional. And in days of social media, of course, you know, if they could have it, they'd, they'd sanitize every bit of footage uh, because they don't want anything scandalous to get out. And every now and then we do get uh, things happening, but that's that's natural. So, Darren, just before your question, I just wanted to ask a follow-up to that because, you know, one of the things that's so I think attractive about cricket is that historically there hasn't been that distance between fans and players um, that you sometimes find in other major sports, particularly let's say football, for example. You know, you hear about the Barmy Army drinking with, you know, English players in, in pubs and, um, you know, we've heard so many cricketers give great interviews actually on radio as well. Does, does it worry you that... Um, that engagement is is being reduced uh, because it, it may not always be to the benefit of the game. I think we do we do live in a in a world of media overload now, don't we, Aaron? I mean, we we're seeing everywhere. There's so much you need to filter through before you get to something that you really want. Uh, so I don't know. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think in terms of getting people to listen to the thoughts of. Uh, players who are actually participating and making the game happen uh, will, of course, be valuable. But I think it's also got to do with what you're looking for, uh, what you're probing, what angle you want to take. And I think depending on the relationships that individual journalists or media outlets have with players over time, many years ago in the Coca-Cola company, I was told, uh, and I learned much to my uh, dismay, uh, that that was right. I was told that Always remember when you speak to a journalist, he or she isn't interested in your story. 
at all. All they want is can they put an angle on what you're saying, which will help them sell, market, or distribute whatever they are putting out. Now, that kind of a concern has often led to a reticence on the part of players, especially those on, on sort of high salaries and big fancy 40-page contracts with brands, because they're worried that if something goes wrong, what they have to lose is not a few thousand fans, but possibly a million bucks in endorsements. So I think it's it's all sort of coming together with this, you know, hoopla all around it, the whole circus, if you will. And depending on where you're playing, who you are, what your stature is, uh, it, it is it's something that evolves. And I think media handling needs to become a central part of uh, of coaching as soon as you get to some level of cricket, I think, in the, in the years to come. Because you've just got to do it. Just as you need to learn about anti-corruption rules, you've got to learn about how to handle the media. I don't think you can escape it anymore. Speaking of media handling... We'll get to it in a minute, but you, you, I know we, we mentioned earlier you, you sort of played for Maharashtra under twenty twos. You modelled your batting a bit on Sunil Gavaskar, and there was and there was a chance for you to go to tour Sri Lanka, I believe, with Ravi Shastri and Sanjay Mandraka. Very much, uh, but you chose your exams instead. Do you ever have any regrets at all on doing that? When I think back on balance, uh, Darren, no, I don't, because look, you've got to think in the late seventies, early eighties. If you chose to play cricket as a profession, there were really three things that you could do. You could either get employed by the Indian Railways or the Indian Airlines, or you could get a job with a nationalized bank. That was it. There really was nothing else. I mean, I remember the first time Thumbs Up, which is a a carbonated beverage, which uh, incidentally Coca-Cola acquired in in, uh, 96, 97, 98. The first time they signed up uh, Sunil Gavaskar and Kapil Dev was 30,000 Indian rupees on a three-year contract. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. So uh, I think if you if you were like Sanjay, if you were like Ravi, who I think, or Kiran More, who had such confidence in their ability, uh, and I make no bones about it. I, I was probably, I came from a background where I think getting a job and sort of getting to getting a steady life was much more important. Uh, and so that's the choice I made. I don't have any regrets because most importantly, I never knew and I still don't know whether I would have been as good or half as good as any one of them. It's very likely I would have played a school's game here or there and then would not have progressed. So I think I chose the safer option. So you can imagine what my investment portfolio looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, <laughs> Thanks for that. Just to follow up on that. You obviously know Ravi Shastri quite well, and recently he's been appreciating a lot of banter on social media. How, how does he cope with the banter, really? Does, does, he, does he enjoy it, and why does he attract so much banter? Look, I mean, obviously, let me caveat everything I say by saying, obviously, I can't speak for Ravi. But, you know, if you, if you look at Ravi and what little I know of the man, he is a person who's lived life on his terms. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He will be the first to admit that he was probably... No, nowhere near the most naturally gifted cricketer. The greatness of Ravi Shastri was in his playing days uh, that he, I think, worked within his limitations and maximized that to such an extent that he became an integral part of that side. Uh, there's a word in Marathi which sort of is very specific to Mumbai cricket or Bombay cricket. It's called Khadus, K H A D O O S. 
Khadus, I don't think there is a, a synonym that you can pick uh, from, from from the English word, English language, but it probably is is something uh, a little bit Jeffrey Boycottesque, if you will. You know, someone who's who's very determined at all costs, almost uh, manic about not letting go and not accepting that I'm inferior. I think that's that's Ravi. Uh, in his playing day, he was like that. In, in the commentary box, he's always spoken his mind, uh, even though there have been times when he's been accused of being a spokesperson for Srinivasan and the BCCI, which I think none of us will begrudge him if we were employed by the BCCI and being paid the kind of money he was being paid. We, we'd do it pretty much the same until it was something illegal that you were being asked to do. As coach or as team director, I think he's, again, worn his heart on his sleeve. He's always spoken his mind. And I admire Ravi most of all because I think uh, he really does not care about consequences in as much as he's willing to take them. He's not going to go and hide behind something. Uh, and, and he is, like in the olden days when, the, when, when computers came to us, VisiVig is something we all grew up with, right? Uh, with Ravi, I think what you see is pretty much what you get. He's a, he's a great bloke. Uh, you don't want to get offside with him on a, on a cricket field, for sure. Yeah, I think it's so true that his um, he made the most of of his talents, didn't he? And, and really, you know, built a, quite an amazing career. Um, but it's interesting you've mentioned the um, kind of criticism he attracted as a commentator. I remember he had that. It was a spat, I think, with Nasser Hussain a few years back, and that, that it all happened on air. And it's interesting because that's almost like an example of of this trend I wanted to ask you about next, where the BCCI we know now pretty much bankrolls the global game. It's responsible for the majority of the revenue um, in the game. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, we also see, you know, whether you call it an undercurrent of animosity or maybe it's it's more obvious than that, but but there's also that kind of opposition um, I've often observed towards the BCCI, not just from the English media, but I find in general the BCCI is often set up as a kind of oppositional figure in the game. What's your take on that? Is that just the narrative, the desire to have a, a convenient villain, um, or, or is there something more to it? I, I think there's there's a bit of everything in that. Um, I mean, not too many people know that, uh, you know, the, the reality of the BCCI is for all the criticism it cops. And I'll be the first to admit that there are areas which are uh, clearly, you know, let's say not quite above board, right, or, or not fully transparent. No doubt about that. And, and people are entitled to a view. Look at what it's done to Indian cricket. Look at the level of percolation. Uh, down down the line to small associations, cricket grounds, equipment, uh, young players, grooming talent, A tours, equipment, coaches, physios, the whole shooting match. And all of that. Pensions, yes, absolutely, pensions. And in return, if they have demanded uh, a certain amount of adherence uh, to a policy, which oftentimes in corporations, I mean, we are all, I think, in one way or another, are, have worked or continue to work within corporations. And there are rules, right? Uh, we don't necessarily agree with every one of their policy, uh, but we do follow them as long as we want to be part of it. So at a simplistic level, I think uh, what they do isn't too bad. 
to your question of are they painted as a villain and do they deserve to be painted like that i think look envy is a, is a very human emotion especially if you've been number 1 and now are not number 1 uh, in the days gone by we all know england australia uh, to a lesser extent new zealand control the game i mean a bunch of blokes sitting in lords decided virtually everything i mean i go back to the days when indian spinners held sway and some of you will remember the rule of not having more than two fielders behind the square leg umpire where did that come from in my opinion it was to counter venkatchandra and prasanna it's a little bit like the the game of hockey where when we played it you know you couldn't lift your hockey above the shoulder you couldn't tackle from one side today they call it total hockey and and i think it's going closer and closer towards ice hockey ice hockey the way you see it people sprawled on the surface uh, you know tapping a, a goal in it was never that game it was a game of skill today it's become as much a game of power so i think you know the the dynamics in sport changed uh, it was not till remember this is the same bcci that did not have enough money in its coffers to pay the 1983 world cup winning team 100000 rupees each which was promised in a, a fit of euphoria by the then president uh, of the bcci and it took uh, a lot of cajoling and coaxing to get one of india's best known uh, singers to actually have two concerts free of cost to raise the money so that the bcci could keep its promise and that's not so long back 83 84 it's only after jagmohan dalmia came in there and realized that hey listen you know there's there's a pot of gold here uh, that that the whole commercialization happened and like in days gone by you know the the world uh, traveled into the leagues in the uk to play their cricket and hone their skills and make the 5 700 800000 pounds that they made in the summer uh, today the the world flocks to the ipl maybe tomorrow there'll be something else we don't know so to that extent the worry that the bcci decides everything is i think complete rubbish uh, it's not true i remember there was a time when malcolm speed uh, was retiring and the icc was looking for a new ceo and today after all these years i can speak about it openly i was very much in the mix i was one of the final two candidates and you know we 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 saw it happen i mean if i could i think i have a legitimate grouse uh, to say that because it so happened that the chairman was indian uh, the special uh, executive being taken on board was indian i remember uh, that i was told very categorically by the outgoing icc chairman that prakash we can't have three indians and and that's how harun got the job and i i don't grudge him that at all the wonderful man but that's the reality so so, so i don't think it's entirely fair yes you have the power don't isn't that true of all uh, almost all business and make no mistake about it the, the the business of cricket is as big i'd like to believe it will never be bigger than the game but it's almost as big as the game for sure thank you toby yeah just take you back to the the commentary box a little bit and you, you may have seen in a few weeks ago actually there's a bbc pitch side reporter in rugby sonia mclaughlin who uh, came forward to say that she'd suffered quite mean abuse after you know, an interview of such and it kind of put into perspective the kind of criticism that commentators and 
uh, and media associated with the game are coming in for, particularly social media now, speeding things up. Yeah, how, how do you deal with that sort of criticism? And, and, and when players get involved, that becomes almost an impossible task, doesn't it? Yeah, bits and pieces cricketers get involved. And then, uh... <laughs> I think I think Jaddu's made Sanjay eat those words several times over, hasn't he? But no, jokes apart, I, I think if you're going to be in, in, in media, whether as a broadcaster or any other way, you've just got to learn where your off stump is and let it go. I don't think you can sort of get involved. I don't think you can try and defend. I don't think you can try and engage because that's not engagement. Uh, because the moment you're reacting, I think you're defending or you're going on the offensive. And both of those things will only sort of add more fuel to the fire. When a player gets involved with another player, like happened with, uh, with Alex Hartley, uh, and that, uh, or rather it was the Burns, wasn't it, uh, tweeting about uh, uh, the, the women's game in, in New Zealand. That's, you know, again, we've got to learn to distinguish between humor and malice. And I don't think everyone's mature enough on social media to be able to make those distinctions. Look at Jonathan Agnew. I mean, Agnew went off uh, Twitter. And I think in part was only because he said, listen, I can't manage this. So he went off. He's not on Twitter anymore. I mean, it, it's, it's a pity because as the cricket correspondent of the BBC, uh, Agurs would be great to, to be on, uh, on Twitter. And he, he's, he's such a remarkable bloke, but he chose not to. Right? Rahul Dravid has never, ever touched um, social media. He, he's not on Facebook. He's not on Twitter. And knowing Rahul as I do, he just says, listen, I don't want to get involved. Everyone's got to make that call. You want to open the batting, you're going to get a few blows. So shouldering arms is the way forward then. We'll take that. <laughs> I was pretty good at that. Sometimes I had to, I'd shoulder arms to things that were hitting the, the pegs. That's a different story. It's a tough one though, isn't it, when players get involved? Does that change it at all or is it your same same policy? Because uh, players now will come back at commentators of, as they we've will. seen. They will. Uh, look, I mean, I actually think if they come back publicly, it's it's easier to handle I've never had uh, an experience where uh, anyone's come back to me pri- publicly or privately. But if they if they come back through the back door and you only learn of it from actions of other people, then I think that's even more discerning, uh, even more disconcerting, because then you don't even know who's actually done what you're speculating. I mean, Harsha's blown the brunt of that once. I know Sanjay has once. It comes with the turf, man. You, you, you want that kind of money. You want those kind of jobs. I guess you've got to just learn that you can, like in corporate life, you can get a lousy boss for a couple of years. You just got to put your head down and go through it. All right. So I was thinking in the interest of time, should we move on to the lightning round? Okay. So we've got six questions. So we'll run through them quickly. The the only thing we'd ask is, well, we say one word answers, but obviously it's quite hard because some of them will require more than one word. Uh, but for the most part, as 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 brief as you can. So, Toby, you've got the first one. Yeah, I think I know the answer to this, but let's see if I'm right. Uh, your cricketing hero. Daniel Gavaskar. Commentary heroes. Christopher Martin Jenkins, John Arlott, Dickie Ratnagar, Anand Seatlewood. Okay. Nice. The best innings you've seen? Oof. May I ask a qualifier? Mm-hmm. Uh, what format? Any. Do, do one of each, an ODI, a test, and a T20 innings. So pick one as pick one T20, as the best. T20, I won't even attempt yeah. because there is too many. So I won't even attempt one for T20, to be honest. 
But I think the greatest, uh, and I'm going to talk about games that I've physically witnessed, not something I've been telling. So with that caveat, for me, I think it'll be Ravi Shastri's 180-odd in that tight test uh, against Australia in Chennai. It was it was remarkable. And I think, you know, along with it, the late Dean Jones in the same game. I think those two innings, uh, phenomenal. Uh, I wasn't at the Eden Gardens to see Lakshman and Dravid. That might have run it very close. So I, I see that. So I'm leaving that out. Uh, in ODI cricket, I am a very clear vision of a long-haired Mahindra Singh Dhoni at the Jaipur uh, cricket ground against Sri Lanka with Chaminda Vas in his prime, the 140-odd. I mean, Desert Storm. Uh, yeah, Desert Storm, Tendulkar, I think would have to wait for that knock. Unbelievable. Best captain you've ever seen? Best captain that I've seen. I think I think I'm going to say uh, Mike Brearley. He's a popular one. I think Martin Sorrell shows him too. And I was very young, uh, but just looking back on it and thinking about the stuff he achieved and the way he went about it, definitely Mike Brearley. I have the next one too. Favorite ground? Ah, this for me is relatively easy, but again, a very different choice maybe. Uh, the Bellarive Oval, Tassie. Oh, wow. That's a, 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 bit, a little bit left field. Tell us why. It's just beautiful. I, I just love it. I mean, it's it's got a, a tremendous view of the ocean. You've got, you know, the Docklands not very far away. It's a, it's a flat open bowl. Uh, it's not sort of hemmed in. It's not concrete all around. Uh, allows the players, you, you can be fairly close to the players. Uh, you can hear stuff without the stump microphone, and uh, just just Tasmania by itself, I think, is is lovely. I've got a bit of a a weakness for it, maybe. Uh, but yeah, and, and I made some very good friends in, in in Tassie as well. Maybe that influences it. But I love that ground. Uh, not to take anything away from all the other great grounds. I mean, you could list out right from Newlands to 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 the Eden Gardens. Uh, each of them is beautiful, and all the grounds in England are pretty anyway. But if I had to pick one, I'd pick the Bellary Oval. Toby, you have the last one. The uh, last ball of the over. Um, one cricket lesson that you've used in business. Accept the umpire's decision and come back for the next game. Yeah. You know, you've got to pick your battles, mate. There's no point in, um, in trying to fight everyone on a crusade. You just accept some things, take it on the chin and move on. Good lesson. Good lesson for us all. Prakash, thank you so much for your time. Sorry we lost Darren. My pleasure, Arun. Um, he, uh, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he was so upset with the innings that you chose that he left the, the, the podcast. <laughs> you, you, well, I, I, balanced, I balanced Ravi with Dean. He couldn't, couldn't have gotten... Yeah, that's true. Maybe because you, um, you mentioned Desert Storm and Darren's a huge Michael Kasprovich fan. Oh, is he? You know, no, actually, I don't know. We've never discussed him, but maybe he is. Who knows? <laughs> well, look, it's, <laughs> Who knows? It's it's lovely to have uh, spoken with all of you. And while I've met Toby in person, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing you and Darren. God willing, as this whole damn bug, you know, either becomes a routine part of life or we find a way of working around it, there will be an occasion or two to to catch up. And I look forward to that very much. Thank you very much for having me. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope uh, you guys did too. We did. 
we really did. Thank you so much, Prakash. Oh, Darren's back. Thank now. you, Prakash. Thanks I'm back. Lot. Sorry, Wi-Fi went out. We Thank thought, you so much, Prakash. We thought you got so upset about um, Desert Desert Storm and, <laughs> and and you left. But anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. See you. Thanks, Prakash. Thanks. See you later. Cheers. Right. Bye. Stay safe.